0: Welcome to PhotoActive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElwain. And I'm Jeff Carlson. Did you watch the Happy Apple Show yesterday?
1: I did watch the Happy Apple Show, um, and uh, I would say it made me fairly happy.
0: Really? (laughs) Okay, it takes a lot to make me happy these days in terms of tech stuff, but I must admit that I thought a number of the features they presented were clever, interesting, and useful. Yeah, no, that that's a
1: really good way of putting it. Um, I don't know if I, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe we're both jaded, and so there's nothing that makes us just you know jump up and 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 you know, cheer for things. Uh, even yeah. though, like for example, uh, you know, there's a new M2 chip, and that was kind of interesting, but it didn't really have the same impact as the M1 chip. Like it's it, it's better. Yay. You know, and so there are things like that, that I think getting down into some of the details that we're going to talk about, that's where things get interesting. I wouldn't say it's super exciting, but it's going to be little things that hopefully will help people and help photographers specifically.
0: Well, let's start by talking about hardware, which was actually not a very long portion of the presentation. The M2 chip, as you mentioned, Uh, What I find interesting is to have all these little graphs showing the the comparison with the best (laughs) PC laptop instead of instead of the bar graphs they used to have, you know, five times faster and all. Yeah. And what it comes down to is it's a little bit faster. But the big difference is that it, it supports 22 gigabytes of RAM compared to only 18 for the M1. now. I have an M1 iMac with 16 gigs. I have an M1 MacBook Air with eight gigs. I've never had a problem. I can understand certain workflows where you might need that extra RAM, but that's the main difference of the chip because performance is not something you're going to see a lot of.
1: Yeah, I thought it was interesting that they really emphasized the power management and the efficiency of the chip. And I think they were doing that partially to blunt the effect of even on their slightly I wouldn't say misleading, but their their vague charts did not look super dramatic, and so they kept pointing out how you know power efficient it was, and and how you know good for battery life it is. Which you know, as someone we both are now running M M1 based Macs, and you know, in my experience, that's fantastic. I mean, I get amazing battery life on my MacBook Pro. So I think a lot of what we're seeing and looking back at the M1 is. This M2 can handle more memory, has more capabilities, but, you know, we're going to see an M2 Pro and we'll probably see an M2 Max doing the same thing. And, and, and an M2 Ultra, it's just this is the foundation that they build their faster, even faster chips on, machines on, like the Mac Pro, which is the only one of the lineup that hasn't yet gotten the, the Apple Silicon treatment.
0: Well, I would say that the larger iMac also hasn't gotten Apple Silicon. I think we're going to see one at some point. I, I do want to make a mention of a couple of things. Now, whenever Johnny comes on in the chip lab in the basement, I kind of zone out. It's like when the game thing is there the you know the game demos that's the bathroom break for me and Johnny <laughs> he's just like there's something about his droning voice that I just don't pay attention to oh
1: see see no 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 because Johnny like like you look into his eyes and he's like so intense you can't <laughs> pe- peel your, your your attention away. <laughs>
0: Well, I looked at the compare page on the Apple website when you're comparing the uh, 2020 M1 MacBook Air and the 2022 M2 MacBook Air. And there's something that, if Johnny mentioned it, I didn't pay attention. First of all, 100 gigabytes per second memory bandwidth is listed for the M2, with no equivalent listed for the M1. So there's certainly memory bandwidth on the M1, but they're not listing it in the compare. But second, they're listing this whole section under media engine. Hardware Accelerated, H two sixty four, HEVC, ProRes and ProRes RAW, Video Decode Engine, Video Encode Engine, ProRes Encode and Decode Engine. I don't know a lot about what ProRes is, but this is video stuff. So you should be able to do a lot more video rendering with the M2, or at least faster video rendering than with the M1.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think... When people are looking at this, they're probably not thinking, well, like, for example, the new machine that was was announced, the the new MacBook Air, most people who are going to buy that are not thinking, ooh, I'm going to do a lot of video on it. But because we know that this chip is the template for what's being used, building in that additional uh, media capability means that, you know, yeah, actually, you'll probably have video editors who will buy one of these. And maybe use it as a rendering machine because it will squeak out a little bit more performance than, say, the the M1 Mac Mini that they bought last year for the same reason. And, you know, with that machine, a lot of people were just sort of poo-pooing the idea of, oh, well, you would not get a Mac Mini as a video editing studio because that's ridiculous. And a whole bunch of people did because it actually performed. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's it's super cool. If you are a photographer doing video, you know more extensive video, and it does help to save some of that time, then yeah, this is kind of a no brainer. For most people, I don't even know how much of that little portion of the chip is going to get touched, but you know, you you
0: know, every once in a while, I make videos with ScreenFlow and I see how long they take. And okay, if it's one minute instead of two minutes, then I don't have time to make a cup of tea while I'm rendering a video, and it's not something I do a lot of.
1: Yeah. I've done enough video stuff in the last year that I I appreciate the gains that this MacBook Pro that I have is giving me, because it has a better GPU and it has better capabilities. And sometimes, yeah, it's it's really fast and it's nice. But again, you know, that's not what I'm doing for a living, right?
0: So you're not going to buy one of these new Macs? I'm... <laughs>
1: I'm not. I laugh. I laugh because last year I also said, I'm not going to buy a new MacBook Pro because I've got one that's perfectly capable. But (laughs) but yours is only a
0: year old. So I'm probably going to buy the MacBook Air in black, which I think is really cool. Ah, My MacBook Air is from, what was it, September, October 2020, the first M1 Okay, So it's getting on 20 months old. Okay. And they're still selling the M1 MacBook Air. Mm -hmm. So I can probably get at least two thirds of its value from eBay which means it's, you know, a good deal. Now, note that the sure. new MacBook Air is $200 more than the M1 MacBook Air. And I think yeah. part of that has to do with the Liquid Retina display and the the different stuff in the chip that's adding a little bit of cost to it.
1: I do think a lot of the advantage of getting a new MacBook Air is the screen. So my MacBook Pro is a Liquid Retina XDR, which is, it's gorgeous. It's really stunning. And so even though this MacBook Air is just liquid retina it's bound to be a lot better than what you have there and i mean maybe that's wasted because it's it's a, a test machine
0: for you but yeah i don't work on it a lot but it's it's nice to have you know a decent computer for when i do want to work sitting in a different place instead of at my desk
1: exactly or you know if you take a train into London or someplace, I don't know where you go. But, you know,
0: it's... it's. Or if, if my iMac breaks down, is one of the main reasons I have a second computer is that, it's insurance. Yeah. It's a test Mac, so I can run betas, so I can set up um, desktops for when I need to do screencasts and screenshots that are more generic and as insurance.
1: Yeah. Now, I find this interesting because when you got that M1 MacBook Air, I believe... You said on our podcast that this could be a machine that you just keep for five years and you don't need to No, I upgrade. said that
0: about the iMac. I said that about the iMac, I think. Ah, okay. Because for me, again, this is my test machine. It's, it's a test the, machine, okay. It's the second machine. It, it's not my main working machine. Yeah. Um, the iMac, though, definitely, I can't see upgrading that in the near future. I can't see, I, I don't want the bigger display of a 27 or a 30 inch, so. Yeah, that makes sense. For, for me on the test machine, it's a question of, If I sell it now, I get good value, and then I get the newer one. That's the only reason. Okay, yeah, that totally makes sense. Okay, so I want to talk about a camera thing that I thought was really skanky. Oh. That bit where Craig Federighi sticks an iPhone on the top of a laptop (laughs) to use as a webcam because they're admitting that their webcams suck on these (laughs) devices, even though these new uh, MacBook Air and MacBook Pro have a 1080p webcam, which is the equivalent of what we have on the M1 iMac, which is pretty good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So so this is called continuity camera. And from a technology standpoint, it's really pretty cool because basically having your phone next to your computer, uh, using the continuity technology, it knows they're close, whatever. And you can just say, all right, use this as my camera. And I'm going to say one of the super cool things, and I, I'm really looking forward to testing this out in person, is they have a mode that they showed in, in the video, that, uh, and they're calling it desk view mode. And what it's doing is it lets you use the, the really wide angle lens. So for people listening, you have to picture your iPhone mounted at the top of your computer. And it's using the extremely wide wide-angle lens to record what's on your desktop and using what I'm guessing is a whole bunch of geometric and artificial intelligence and whatever. It's bending that image into shape so it looks like a top-down view of your desk. So if you are you know, demonstrating something, say, on a YouTube video, uh, you know, you have like a craft thing, you can have one of your cameras pointed at you. And then the wide angle is basically showing what's happening on your desk. And you don't have to like set up two different cameras and, and do all of that. Super, super interesting.
0: I know. I, I admit that it's really clever. And I think what they're doing is they're doing some sort of a keystone adjustment and a, and a flip kind of thing, which, you, which we talked about in software about, you know, adjusting distortion and stuff like that. But the way it looks is it's like it's spooky almost that the thing's pointing at you and the picture is from above.
1: Yeah, yeah. In fact, w- when they had someone demonstrating it, they had him like have a deck of cards and he, he pulled a card and showed it in front of him so you could see it in one camera and then make sure that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there was no trickery going on. So that's super, super cool. Now, the question is, is it going to be sort of like cinematic mode on the iPhone, which is super, super cool, but is anyone using it? Yeah. So is. Is anyone going to use this? I don't know, but it, it is very cool. What was also cool and seemed a little bit blurry—I don't know what the what the end results are going to be—is a, a studio light feature. So even if you are in darkness, it's basically it looks like it's increasing the exposure on you, decreasing the exposure in the background. So it sort of kind of looks like you have, say, a ring light or some other illumination in front of you which tends to be you
0: know, without having those white circles on your eyes <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs>
1: without your glasses looking like you're you're you know yeah been spawned from hell um, and so my, my
0: guess is that they're using the same technology as portrait mode to separate it the is. person from the background and they're just as you say changing the exposure on both of them
1: absolutely and, and so the question will be you know it like it looked okay on the video there in practice, it also looked a little bit soft. So, you know, is this going to be an acceptable compromise for somebody who doesn't have an actual light set up in their office if they're doing a lot of remote meetings and things like that? So it's it's neat. I'm looking forward to seeing what it actually looks like. So I like the technology, but again, like you said, it does show an acknowledgement that, oh yeah, their built-in webcams are not working very well. Um, Even with firmware updates, the the AI stuff that they thought would make it all really pretty doesn't seem to be doing the trick. And yeah,
0: well, I think you're you're on an M1 iMac, right? No, you're using a a proper camera connected to your Mac. Because don't I look right now? No. Oh, so you're on the M1 iMac? I'm on the M1 iMac. Yeah. Yeah, and this camera's fine. I mean, I'm looking at you. You're clear. Other people I know with the same Mac, they look really fine. Mm -hmm. I don't know why it's so hard for Apple to get. Better cameras on the $5,000 display. Is it that much? $5,000, $2,500, whatever it is. I I don't know why there was that debacle with that display that I think still hasn't been fixed.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll I'll just point out that I look good anytime. So it's not the camera, it's just me.
0: (laughs) Right, okay, okay. So iCloud shared library, I kind of think that people have been asking for this since as long as there has been iCloud. What's nice about this
1: feature is if you already have a family group set up, in iCloud. Everybody can contribute photos to this shared library. And before, even though everybody is in an album, it just hasn't been easy for people to add their own images. It's always been clunky enough that you don't really want to do it. And here, it just makes it a lot easier to let anybody share the photos that they want. But also, you can do things like if you have pictures of let's say 3 of your family members and they've all been taking pictures there's a capability where it will create a library for you that just includes those people so right there's a lot of flexibility again this is something that I want to see in practice to see how how useful it will be but it does seem to present that that solution of here is a complicated way of sharing photos that we've made much <laughs> simpler so that what you're actually Doing is the real world thing of yeah. I just want to see all the pictures that my wife took while we were, you know, on this day
0: without asking her. I kind of think it's going to be here's a complicated thing that we've made just as complicated. <laughs> it could be <laughs> but because because think about it. You've got a lot of photos that you don't want to share. Uh, I mean, I'm not talking secret photos, but we both take screenshots a lot for our work. Oh yeah. Will screenshots be shared automatically? I don't know. Uh, In the camera app, you can choose whether to share the photo that you're about to take. So you can turn sharing on and off the way you turn on and off live photo. So you're not necessarily going to have all your photos being shared. But I think there's a lot of granularity in order to make sure this works correctly. You'll be turning it on and off. You'll be adjusting. You've taken a bunch of photos. You realize your wife doesn't need to see them. And then you'll unshare them. To me, it seems a bit complicated. Mm but that could be just because we take a lot of photos for things that other people don't need to see for our work. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that's completely fair.
0: Okay. Um, Duplicates in the photos app have long been a problem. There have been a number of third party apps to try and find duplicates. And it's not that simple. It's not as simple as just finding a file name. That's the same because I don't think third party apps actually have access to the file names. Do they?
1: That is a very good question. I Don't know. I mean, in theory, it's just metadata that they could access, but I don't know what what Apple exposes.
0: In any case, it looks like Apple has some sort of image detection way of doing it, that it's not metadata. It's actually finding photos that look the same. And the risk of that is if you do a burst and someone's not moving, does that count as duplicates? If you make a duplicate in order to do some different edits on a photo, is that going to count? Are they going to only take photos that are edited exactly the same way? So we we don't know yeah. um, how this is going to work in practice. So a lot of the things we're talking about, we are speculating, and, and I'm not really sure about this one.
1: Yeah, yeah. well, and actually one of the things that I noticed in their, their feature list, uh, it mentioned that this shows up, as an album, basically. Like there's going to be in that set of system albums. So they have things broken out for like screenshots or portraits or selfies. You know, that there's going to be a new one called utilities. And within that is going to be duplicates. And what I'm guessing is it's going to do is what a lot of these duplicate apps do is basically show you some things that it thinks are duplicates. And then you still have to go through and say, yeah, these are either uh, obvious duplicates. Maybe I have like a low-resolution version of a JPEG that I shared out, and so I want to get rid of that. Or, like you said, you're looking at a burst, and they're not technically duplicates, but maybe that'll help you get rid of all the
0: ones that you don't want. So, Yeah, I think I would definitely look for duplicates in an album called Utilities. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't quite understand. One of the features that they're bringing to the iPhone, I guess, and the iPad is copy and paste edits. So you can copy edits from one photo and paste them on another. You can do this in the Photos app on the Mac, and you have been for, since forever. Um, it's good that they're bringing this to iOS. So, so essentially, they're trying to make iOS and iPadOS replicate the desktop experience. And they're probably looking at the low-hanging fruit of this kind of feature that people do use regularly that isn't available. Uh, You can also undo and redo edits. They say multiple edit steps in your photos. And that's, you know, I've always hated. I'm editing a photo on my iPhone, and something's wrong, so I have to reset everything and start over.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm really curious to see how they implement that. Uh, Based on, like, what we've talked about, like, say, using uh, raw power, we've talked about how you can make edits, and it saves the edited version in the Photos app. But in the Photos app itself, if you don't take it back to raw power, your only option is to just revert to the original. And so hopefully they've added some good granularity to this, not just in the Photos app, but maybe how it also works with some of the other third-party apps. Again, you know, we're, again, we're just looking at a one paragraph description and we'll see what that actually means but I'm, I'm curious this is one of the things i'm curious to see how it's implemented.
0: i don't install the ios betas i will install the ipad os beta on one of my two ipads um, unfortunately the the coolest feature which is this stage manager is that what it's called where you can get um, windows On the iPad, multiple Windows, which is also available on the Mac, it's only available with M1 iPad. So it's only the iPad Pro and the latest iPad Air. Now, I have an iPad Mini 6, which I was going to use for the beta, and it won't support that feature. So I may install the beta on my 11-inch iPad Pro. One thing that you put in the notes for this is the iPad finally having full external display support. And I'm thinking of that thing with Craig Federighi when he's got his iPad on the Magic Keyboard, and he hooks it up to a display. And I'm thinking, why doesn't he just use a Mac? <laughs> the only upside to that was that he could use the Apple Pencil on the iPad. But other than that, everything he was doing can be done on the Mac.
1: Yeah, a lot of people pointed that out. They're like, if you have to go to this length, why not just get a Mac? And I think I think the use case is maybe you don't have a Mac. Maybe whatever you do, you've been able to just use an iPad. and. You know, like maybe you're a student or maybe you are a a traveler or something and I know you're shaking your head a little bit like, oh, come on, now you're reaching, which I think is that there are some people who get by with just an iPad and it would be nice to have a larger display that they can plug into.
0: Right. So when they're traveling, they carry their 30-inch display with them as well. You don't? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, there's use cases like that. I, I think what we're seeing, if we if we look at a lot of the changes here and a lot of the, what's the word, um, homogenization of the operating systems, mm-hmm. is we're heading toward the singularity of iOS and macOS being the same. And I think this is one of the ways of getting people to say, well, you know what? You can do almost everything with your iPad and this magic keyboard that's $300 and this Apple Pencil, it's $100. So they're getting closer to that. I I think I couldn't, we, neither of us could do our work with just an iPad. And it's interesting to point out, we'll have to link this in the show notes, um, one of the iPad's biggest boosters, Federico Vitici of Mac Stories, came out with an article last week saying that, you know what, I've been working with a Mac laptop for the past six months and I really like it. So for years he was trying to show everyone that you can do everything with an iPad and he gave up. Just before all these new features came out with the (laughs) iPad, like the windowing and other things in the external display. And I wonder if he's going to go back. And he's been trying to prove, yes, you can. If I use these tools and this automation shortcut with 8,700 steps, I can do what I could do on the Mac. (laughs) So it's a decision. You you know, there are people who don't use Macs, but do they use external displays if they have just an iPad? I don't think so. I don't know. I mean, for
1: photographers, I can see this as. If you prefer to edit your photos say in Lightroom on an iPad or you're using an Apple Pencil and you want that ability to have a more hands-on edit experience but you also want a bigger version or you want basically a, a larger better view of what you're working on before the only thing you could do was just mirror your iPad and I think I think some of this is basically just the technology has been there to extend your desktop between an iPad and an external display. It was just never implemented or turned on. And so, you know, at at the very least, this acknowledges that look, the hard it's not the hardware that's preventing that. It's always been the software. So 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 that that's what this does. Um, Again, I don't know what the use case is, but it's kind of cool. And maybe somebody just plugs in their iPad off to the side and have an external monitor. I don't know. But one thing that I do want to point out that's really cool, although it has some limitations, and again, we'll want to see how this works in practice, is that uh, with an iPad Pro, and actually it has to be a 12.9-inch iPad M1 iPad Pro, uh, you can set that up as a reference monitor.
0: What is a reference monitor?
1: Basically, let's say that on your Mac, you are editing video and or you're editing photos and you want a second display that's only going to show you what that video output is so you're not looking at at your video in its little window you're not looking at 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 your photo with all the menu bars and things you just want to see the photo itself so you can do that with an external display the problem is you you end up with issues of um, syncing your your color and color management because maybe that external display isn't showing the exact same colors yeah and so because of the quality of these screens and because of apple's magic color syncing technology you can have this reference ipad acting as a reference monitor so that you can see a color accurate version of what you're working on just on the monitor itself so it's okay that makes sense it's super cool i can see how how uh photographers especially would really like it videographers even more so uh, super cool. Again, we'll have to see how it works in practice.
0: Okay, the last thing in your notes is the new visual lookup for birds, insects, and statues. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, well, we were looking up some flowers the other day. I've got a yeah. app that looks up flowers. Kind of hard for birds. You can't walk up to the bird and take a photo and, you know, look in the camera while you're taking the photo and see what it is. No, I know it's so you've taken a photo Already, and you put it into your iPhone, and you have to zoom it enough. Uh, we'll we'll see how it works. I, I think I think this is an incremental, tiny little feature, and we'll see. If you're traveling and you see a statue, you know who it is. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Um. But for the rest, I don't know. So all of these things are coming in the fall. The new MacBook Air and MacBook Pro are uh, available next month. They didn't say when. I wonder if it's supply chain issues that are slowing down the launch. We'll see. Uh, I will probably get the new MacBook Air, though. I I think it's kind of neat. I kind of regret that um, after 14 years, they've taken away that sort of aerodynamic shape of the MacBook Air, and they make it flat that it looks kind of just like an iPad Pro with a cover on top. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think the wedge was nice and distinctive, but uh, it, it totally makes sense that they would want to go with something new. Um, I, I like the new design uh of the MacBook Pro, so like it feels good to me. Um I am not going to get one. However, my wife is most likely gonna get one because she's still using a 2013 MacBook Pro. And so I think when she gets this new one, her head's gonna spin around because it's gonna be such a
0: difference in <laughs> in performance. Well, so here's another point that uh, Mac OS Ventura is only compatible with Macs going back as far as 2017.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, last year, they went back as far as 2013 and 2014, and your wife is probably running Monterey. Uh, but from this year, you won't be able to do that anymore. And that's a real big cutoff. On the iPhone, they're getting rid of the 6S, the 7, the original SE. Mm-hmm. A number of iPads are no longer compatible. So something's happened here a, a number of years ago that's causing them to. To, to, to remove that long tail that we had where you could have a Mac and keep it running the latest operating system for a long time, and it's particularly problematic if you're on an old operating system that's not getting security updates, then you're putting yourself at risk.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, they're in the business to sell new machines. I get it. Uh, and, you know, I mean, going back five years is still decent, but it's not great.
0: It's not that much because five years means that the Mac was sold for at least a year. So you may have bought it four years ago and not be able to upgrade it. And that's not a lot. Yeah. So, uh, And another thing to point out, I mentioned about certain features are only available on M1 iPads. I kind of wonder if we've hit an inflection point like 32-bit, 64-bit, that going forward for certain features you'll need the m1 in ipads to to benefit from them it's kind of disappointing that the current ipad mini is not an m1 ipad maybe they'll come out with a new one soon but the the ipad mini is always the one that takes the longest to update so that means that people with an ipad mini who only have an ipad mini are missing out on some of the more important features this said that windowing stuff really won't work well on the smaller display of the ipad mini
1: yeah yeah, I wouldn't even want to try, I don't think. Um, yeah. Also, one one last thing to point out is that they also announced an M2-based MacBook Pro. So the 13-inch MacBook Pro, which is the same uh, shape. It even has the touch bar, if you just really loved the touch bar. Uh, but given the pricing and the features, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless for some reason you really need that shape or those different ports. It makes much more sense to either get the brand new MacBook Air with the M2 or get you know a 14-inch MacBook Pro, which also has the M1 or M1 Pro or Max, which are still amazing computers. So
0: It's a bit confusing that they've got three small laptops now. Actually, four because they're keeping the old MacBook Air for a while because of the low price. Um, just a couple more things to point out. The MacBook Air display is 64 pixels higher than the previous one and it has a notch. Oh, yeah. So the 64 pixels is the size of the menu bar, so it's that much higher. And it has MagSafe, which is really good because one of the problems of the entry level laptops is they only have two USB C ports. So you freed up one which was which you were using for charging before. It's got a fast charge mode. It can go to 50% in a half an hour if you get the 67 watt charger. So for people who travel, that's really practical.
1: And also an optional thing is the the charger itself, you can get one that has two USB-C ports on it so that maybe you don't need to carry around an extra USB-C charger when you're traveling or, you know, plug that in, charge your phone or whatever. So nice little bit of additional thing if you want to slim down what you're carrying.
0: Uh just today the European Union decided that they're going to mandate USB-C for phones. Ah. So if Apple doesn't come out with the USB-C phone this year for the iPhone 14, it'll be next year because I think this has to be done by the end of next year. So we're finally standardizing on USB-C, which I think is a very good thing.
1: It is a very good thing if only all the protocols and charging numbers and all that were
0: I know, the, the cables, which, which speed, which, how many volts, et cetera. Yeah. Okay, let's do our snapshots.
1: Have you got something? I do. Based on our conversation with Scott Kelby in our last episode, who wrote the travel photography book, I bought a Platypod Ultra. And this is basically a mostly flat plate with a whole bunch of screw openings and a little uh, screw that sticks up that you can put a ball head on. And this is like a little portable tripod, and it's got some little legs that you can put in so that, for example, let's say you're on uneven ground, you can screw them. it's a little fiddly, but basically get yourself a nice, stable platform without the size and the the cumbersomeness, if I can invent a word of having a tripod. One of the things that he mentioned was there are a lot of places, uh especially in Europe, that you just cannot bring a tripod into, and so you don't want to just carry that around all day for no reason. So, I went ahead and picked this up. It's like $65 um and it's super sturdily built. It's got a carabiner so you can clip it onto things. And uh I'm looking forward to using it because I have a trip coming up and even though I will take my tripod with me for another part of the trip, this will be my little thing that I can carry around in my little sling bag all day.
0: It's a clever idea. I should get something like that. I have a couple of small tripods. Is Gorillapod, is that one of them, that you have as well, very flexible? Yeah. Why? Yeah. You don't like that. You, you, did, you did the
1: face It's there. okay. Well, <laughs> the Gorillapod's <laughs> a neat idea, but I can never get it to be level. It's really kind of fiddly. Um, mm. I've kind of given up on it because it just, you know, it, like you spend so much time bending all the little things around, and I'm hoping that this is a lot better.
0: Okay. Yeah. So what do you have, Kirk? I have something that you're going to want to buy. Oh. It is the CalDigit TS4. CalDigit makes uh, these docks. So you stick one Thunderbolt cable into your Mac and one into the back of the thing. And all of a sudden, you've got all these ports, 18 ports. And it's it's got on the front, I've got an SD card slot. Just think of that. I don't have to stick a little dongle into the port on the back of my (laughs) Mac and figure out where it is. No, really, it makes a big difference because it it doesn't have a lot of USB-C ports. It's got, let's see, two or three on the back. Some of them are powered. Some of them are Thunderbolt and powered. Some of them aren't, which is fine. I have some devices that don't need much power. It's got two USB-C ports on the front, one USB-A, SD card, micro SD, and a headphone jack. On the back, it's got four USB-A uh, HDMI, Ethernet, which I don't use HDMI and Ethernet. But it's not cheap. I think it was £329. It's not yet available in the US. Now, I'm on the CalDigit website, and they have this page, an update on TS4 availability. And for North America, they say mid-June, so it should be any time soon. United Kingdom, in stock, stock availability is being staggered on a daily basis due to demand. Oh. Check back daily for more availability. And And yeah, I got mine on Amazon UK. Um, it was unavailable, then it was available, then it was unavailable. So it, it is in demand. It's expensive, but it's the thing that I needed to organize and have fewer dongles going into my Mac and to have ports available when I need them. This morning I was doing something. I don't often scan paper, but I switched business bank accounts a while back, so I had 150 pages to scan with my Fujitsu scan snap scanner, and I plugged it in the front and boom, scanned everything, and it makes life so much easier. So Caldigit TS4. We'll put a link to the Caldigit website. That's the only place you're gonna find out because um, it doesn't look like it's gonna be available on Amazon in the US for a while.
1: Yeah. There comes a point when you think, I don't need to spend all that because I have these little dongles, and it's not that much of a inconvenience, Uh, especially if you have a laptop. Uh, See, I have a laptop that has an SD card in it now. Yes, that's true. Honestly, sometimes I forget and I go reach for my little (laughs) USB-C adapter and then realize that there it is. Uh, But it's that that incremental uh, grinding you down aspect of...
0: It's death by a thousand dongles. It is. It really is.
1: And so at some point, you're like, oh, you know what? I do want to have my scanner just available whenever I want it. I don't want to have to go and find the plug or plug it into a different machine. And I don't know. It's just one of those things where you reach a point and you're like, I don't care that it costs me $300 because yeah. my quality of life has improved. So yeah, definitely. Well,
0: something my to. quality of work has improved. You know, this for me is, is a work uh, tool. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it is more designed for using a laptop where you don't have many ports. But when you consider that the iMac only has four ports. So Mm -hmm. you're never going to have an an Apple computer unless it's whatever the next version of Mac Pro is that has lots of ports.
1: Yeah, yeah. And while I completely understand the whole design aesthetic of not loading up all the ports on the front of a computer, I get it. There's also just that frustration of oh, all right, now I need to stand up, look around to the back of my computer, or maybe it's not in a maybe it's up against a wall, so I need to shift the computer, you know, and then suddenly. It just builds up and it grinds over time. So having something that makes all that go away,
0: perfect. Okay, until next time. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the m. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's PhotoActive Cast in one word. You can subscribe to PhotoActive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast.